Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rob Mana Show. We've got a on-fire one today, I think. Uh, you'll enjoy this. Uh, you know, former senior military commanders are now questioning our government's actions. And I was asked us just a few weeks ago, uh, quote, any interest in interviewing a retired former seven-time Air Force commander who has always been pro-vaccine and pro-vaccine mandates? who now questions what our government, which seems to be becoming more totalitarian with every passing day, is mandating. We are losing so many patriots who love and want to serve our country for no rational reason in my mind, close quote. Of course, I said, yeah, uh, to the question. So this week's show will be on fire. Lieutenant General Rod Bishop retired from active duty in August 2008, after 34 years of service in the United States Air Force. His last assignment was as commander of 3rd Air Force, United States Air Forces in Europe, Ramstein Air Base, Germany, where he oversaw all American air and space activities in the 93 countries in Europe and Africa. Additionally, he was responsible for organizing, training, and equipping of nearly 30,000 airmen assigned to the 10 different Air Force wings under his command throughout Europe. Following many and varied operational flying assignments early in his career in which he served as an aircraft commander, an instructor pilot, and flight examiner in various mobility and training aircraft, General Bishop held many key positions uh, throughout the U.S. Air Force where he commanded airmen at every single operational level, including two squadrons, an operations group, an airlift wing, a numbered air force, and air command Europe, while also completing numerous strategic air force and joint assignments throughout the Department of Defense. General Bishop is also the founding chairman of the board and president of Stand Together Against Racism and Radicalism in the Services, aka STARS Incorporated. General Bishop, sir, Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. Hey, hey, Rob, great to be back with you. That was quite an introduction. I think that's the best one I've had. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. Uh, I take great pride in putting those little monologues together because I have no staff, so I do it myself. And <laughs> well, it helps to be former airport, too. Cause <laughs> yeah. I've never been an avid writer, but I learned basic writing skills and got to perfect them as a commander in the Air Force. And, and sir, I, I got to tell you, I thought I was privileged to get the opportunity to command four times. Uh, up through wing commander, but uh, you kick butt. <laughs> and for those of, those folks out there that don't know, if you're selected to command at all those levels, you're in the, like the the point zero 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 one percent of top performing officers in the U.S. Air Force, in my opinion. So thank you for well, coming on, sir. Hope, how's your family? Hey, they're they're doing great, Rob. Yeah, and and thanks for those words on command. It really is a blessing yeah. for all of us who have had that opportunity. We can, we can talk a little bit about had. that, too, as we go on. I mean, it's, you know, the trust and the lo loyalty thing. Uh, yeah, the opportunity to command America's young men and women uh, in the U.S. <clears throat> Armed Forces is not only uh, a, a great privilege, but it's also an awesome responsibility with the most amount of power any, really any human being can have over other human beings, quite honestly. Uh, and uh, uh, it really is... Uh, 
uh, a blessing to have had the opportunity to do that. And, uh, and I, I hope everybody that desires to get that opportunity, uh, if they're able to serve, you know, and that's one of the questions I think today, I, I read your question out in my monologue because it, it did surprise me. Uh, you know, I'm a colonel, I've been a wing commander and a squadron commander, uh, and I've been frustrated with the government over the last two years and the decisions they're making, the policies they're putting out. But now it's really affecting our armed forces in real ways. Uh, you're seeing people leave. Uh, you're, they're leaving in some ca- many cases with, uh, uh, with derogatory information in their personnel files, uh, military justice actions against them, administrative actions, uh, simply because they don't agree with these policies. Uh, and you mentioned the, the vaccine mandates, uh, but that's not the only one. That's not the only one. What brought you to this level? Because it's very unusual for somebody to have been at, operating at your level and have served the country for so long to say, you know, the government, uh, I don't trust it anymore. And I don't have faith in the policies that they're putting out. Well, Rob, um, you know, as a, as a wing commander, I bet you did the same thing I did. You know, when it came flu vaccine time or I happened to be uh, go through the anthrax thing, you know, my page is on the front page of the base newspaper, first in line to get the shot. And as you said in your monologue, um, always been pro-vaccines, always been pro-vaccine mandates for the military because I always considered it to be uh, the first element of force protection. Mm-hmm. And, but yet, what brought me to this point, I guess I would also say I'm a common sense kind of guy. <clears throat> and as a very good friend told me this past week when I was visiting with him in Crested View, Colorado, he said, it just makes me want to cry when I see all this talent walking out of the, the services. And so this whole idea of vaccines and vaccine mandates, I got to tell you, as the president and chairman of STARS, this was a very hot topic for us. Back in April, when it looked like, you know, they were going to be rolling out and we're going to be giving them to the military. um, I think it was probably pretty close to unanimous that STARS says, hey, you know, we're a military organization. And it's the first element of force protection. But between April... And, you know, January of 2022 now, we've learned so much. And it yeah. just seems like we're, as, as a nation, a, a good portion of us are turning a blind eye to just common sense. I mean, we're told to follow the science and we're not following the science here. <clears throat> STARS is blessed with two um, academy grad doctors and they've laid out um, you know, some pretty good cases that I think we all would ask or questions we should ask and data we should ask if we were going through this and they just don't seem to be being asked. Instead, we're, well, with the exception of First Liberty, we pro- probably would have outprocessed, you know, the, a good portion of our Navy SEALs. Yeah. Um, STARS just recently, <coughs> excuse me, has taken on the uh, mission the second R in STARS, Stand Together Against Racism and Radicalism. Yeah. We finally reviewed this again and said, okay, you know, if we're going to force a young, at low risk, for the most part, age group, 
to put something in their body that we know now only has a short-term effect because we've had to come along with boosters. And now, if you heard the news over the last couple of days, the Israeli studies are saying uh, a fourth booster may actually in, impede your own immunity. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not take, just take a step back and, and reevaluate. So this is where I, I said, you know, I'd like to think that if I were still a commander, you know, this trust and loyalty that I started out with about being a commander, that goes both ways. I mean, I get it. You want to trust your civilian leadership and be loyal to them, but you have that same responsibility down the chain as well. And the questions that STARS has become aware of from across the services, but particularly at the academies that cadets are asking are not being answered. Instead, we're just saying, well, thanks, you know, you're out the door. <laughs> and add to that, for example, um, what, up until last week, there were thousands of religious exemption applications granted and none given. I mean, is that the country we want to be? What, what happened to our First Amendment rights? In fact, just before coming on your show, Rob, I got an email from a former chief of Air Force chaplains complimenting the work that STARS is doing, trying to assist cadets. I mean, here's cadets applying for religious uh, exemptions. The mm -hmm. chaplains are saying it is um, sincere and yet they're getting letters from the superintendent saying, sorry. Now, can I blame the superintendent? I think he's being probably dictated to. I mean, because this is, seems pretty uniform across all the services. But that being said, I haven't heard of any leaders pushing back on this and just saying, hey, where's the common sense? And, and you know, we just helped uh, one of the cadets put an appeal for religious exemption. And guess where the appeal goes? You would think to the chief of Air Force chaplains. Yes. No, it's going to the Surgeon General. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you know, you know, sir. I mean, I think your key phrase is this: "Look, I I understand common sense, but but also, look, I I got the opportunity to be a squadron and a wing commander and a vice wing commander in in units that you know." Uh, that I wasn't an expert in, in some cases. Uh, so I had to be taught to do what's called data-based decision-making. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and part of those last two jobs in the air force was, was running large medical operations, uh, mm -hmm. as the senior executive in charge of that. And in one case, I was in charge of the local pandemic response for the swine flu, uh, mm -hmm. in two the 2009 area, uh, that time frame. And, and if I had recommended that some of the things that we're seeing happen, uh, even with that, uh, I would have been ridden out on a rail, as they say, mm -hmm. uh, and tarred and feathered, but probably first by the local government, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I just don't, I don't understand. Uh, and I'm glad that men and women at your level are, are there now, uh, because you're right there with me is that, is that, uh, this is a this should be a data based decision making operation, and uh, data is 
being hidden. We've uncovered instances of that through independent media researchers. Uh, data is being withheld. Uh, 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 therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin have been demonized by people in the public health community, for goodness sakes. I just saw a doctor last night uh, that was fired from a hospital uh, that had seen 2,000 COVID patients and had kept them out of the hospital using ivermectin. You know, and because she spoke out against what the hospital's coercion methods were doing to try to get people to take the vaccine, she was fired. Uh, you know, those kinds of things, that's not public service. That's no. not public policy. Uh, and to get back to our airmen, our, our wonderful airmen, my young, my young, uh, I have had three sons in the military. One was in the Air Force. He's, he's now since gone on to the reserves, but he left active duty this past summer because of all the craziness from the wokeness to, to uh, this. So I'm glad STARS has taken uh, this on uh, because our, our country is losing its capability of uh, patriotic Americans that want to serve uh, and it's deterring those that might've decided to volunteer to serve in the first place, isn't it? Yeah, for, for sure. Um... You know, somebody just sent me an article about Air Force recruiting being in the tank. And, and I think if people were honest, like, for example, I just helped two young men apply for, and they both got nominations to the Air Force Academy, whether or not they'll mm -hmm. get appointments, don't know yet. Yeah. But, I mean, I brought them both into my living room, sat them down, showed them the Black Lives Matter video, showed them what they sent to all appointees last year, which essentially had to say, uh, uh, yeah, I support Black Lives Matter, showed them the one book, One Yusafa Club, which was extreme left wing, uh, George Takei's book, uh, They Called Us Enemy, uh, which screams for open borders, which is so detrimental at the time to the, when he wrote it to the sitting president. I mean, just political stuff that you don't, I think, has no room in the military. But yet that was the book chosen for the one book when you saw for club. If, so if more people were exposed to that, um, may, maybe recruiting would be even tougher. But somehow we have to turn this around. And the leaders um, seem to have bought into this agenda. I mean, we have uh, a direct quote from uh, the Academy, Super, Air Force Academy superintendent saying, I just want to push diversity, equity, inclusion into every nook and cranny. What they don't understand, and even some retired four stars, when I kind of went back on that with a hard email saying, well, there's a good kind of diversity, equity, inclusion. Well, what they don't understand is that DEI is the praxis of critical race theory. Yeah. And if they would listen to the people they're leading, they would tell you that it's divisive. So, we kind of missed the boat there, I think, with the leaderships. Um, I don't know what happened if they've just been indoctrinated since the 2011 uh, President Obama executive order. And, you know, I hate to put names because it makes me come across as political. What STARS yeah. is and what we are, are for the values that are the prophetic vision that our founding fathers had, of the mm -hmm. profound wisdom and uh you know just common sense stuff there's another common sense thing you don't want to 
drive a knife into the heart of military cohesiveness. I mean, Clausewitz taught us that that's three times the physical, uh, you know, the bullets and yeah. uh, the, the, today the tanks and the airplanes and the guns. Um, but yet that continues. And, and so now we see this one and you just have to stop back and say, well, is anybody pushing back on this? Is anyone asking the questions we're asking? And if they're not, why not? Shouldn't they be representative and sh representative and showing the same loyalty uh, to the people that they're leading as they are up the chain? So, and, and you know, we've touched on a couple of them, but you know, for example, no accommodation given for natural immunity. One of the doctors in STARS has told us that there's 140 studies, all quality studies, that will tell you somewhere between 11 and 27 times the immunity comes from natural immunity. In fact, again, just before coming on my show, my wife just said, oh, the CDC just admitted that natural immunity was more effective against the Delta variant. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we're still continuing to force people out of military service, patriots who want to serve because they have to take a shot, which has shown to be very ineffective against the variant out there today, Omicron. Yeah. I mean, ah, and and then you could argue, and I just wonder where this disappears or into the Ethernet. Uh, the uh, a federal court recently found last month that, uh, and a lot of people don't know this, and it's debatable, I guess, on who you read as to whether or not it's true, but the vaccine being injected is not the vaccine approved by the FDA. It's not the, what is it, Omicrati, Crony, or something like that, I think. It, I can't remember the exact name of it, but, you know, that story's been going around for yeah. four months. Yeah. And, and independent researchers mm -hmm. and media types like me have been talking about it. And, of course, we get, we get uh, silenced by the censors and social media. Uh, whenever you bring things like that up, but it's that kind of activity. That, I mean, what the hell is going on? And you mentioned nobody that's in command now is standing up against this. Maybe, maybe they are, but we just don't hear about it. Maybe they're well, pushing. Well, yeah. Back. Yeah. They may be pushing back, but, but when they push back and then they get crushed, even privately, somebody you would think would be talking about it. Uh, and go public with it. And there isn't, there is not one senior leader that I'm aware of, enlisted or officer, uh, that has decided they would go public, that's currently on active duty, let's put it that way, uh, that has decided to go public. So if they are pushing back, uh, their only recourse, is, since they're obviously getting the answer of no, we're going to do it our way, uh, come hell or high water, uh, is to go public. Yeah, uh, and uh, they're not. They're not. No, and you know that's one where I think America taxpayers should be upset. I mean, we're we are losing. A, think of all the training dollars that we spent training these folks up, yeah. and yet they're just dispensable out the door. I mean, we were gonna. I, I don't know what the latest on the seals. I'm glad the federal court in the in the seals uh, case mm -hmm. found uh, in their favor that yes. Uh, they do have the right to religious exemption and, and no mandate can overcome the First Amendment right that we all have for uh, religious freedom. Uh, and how do we get that to extend to all the rest of the or That's that's what I've asked some of the lawyers, Mike, Mike Berrien being one of them yeah. who uh, you know leads that First Liberty 
and good on them, but we need to extend that for the rest of the course. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the Obama era letter uh, or memo. Uh, I left uh, my last base in sept- early September 2011 and was sent a memo by my chaplain a few weeks later that should have gotten to me but didn't. Uh, that came out first of September date uh, from the chief of staff saying that commanders were no longer allowed to talk about their religious beliefs or faith in any meetings, uh, mm. uh, to be careful not to show it, even going to, to church uh, uh, in your, with your family, uh, and that only chaplains could talk about religion uh, in any official capacity. And when I saw that, I was like, man, that doesn't bode well for anything from a religious freedom perspective, uh, more than likely. And I'm wondering if that has, that has had something to do with what's happening with this, uh, because probability states uh, that there should be some approvals just because of the numbers. One, one would think so. And, and to yeah. that point, Rob, I mean, one of the most egregious examples, and I mean, this even occurred under the last administration, but it just, I think, shows you how deep and how insidious all of this has become. So when I left uh, uh, United States Air Forces in Europe, one of my wing commanders, it was several months after I left, to to your point, she had had a suicide in her wing and uh, she put out, you know, she just to boost everybody's morale, she put out a very positive message, but it was from a Catholic bishop. And I mean, I, I don't even know that she knew that you know, at the bottom it said this was a message from so she she so and so, which Archbishop so and so, but she just put it out to her wing, and somebody filed an IG complaint, and the IG complaint uh, was founded, and her career was over, her yes. military career was over. I go, wow! Now compare that to today's day and age, where Matthew Lohmeyer, the Space Force Lieutenant Colonel that was fired, files an IG complaint against his commander for continuing critical race theory training after the president of the United States had issued not one but two executive orders saying cease and desist. And the IG comes back and says, oh, no harm, no foul. I mean, it is just unfathomable how deep and how quick this came. In fact, in Matt's book, I like how he how he puts it, 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 it happened gradually, but suddenly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it happens very gradually, but the mind sees it as a sudden uh, appearance. Right. Uh, is, uh, so I, yeah, I, I like the way he did that. I'm going to have him on the show here in a couple of weeks, too. So we're, we're honored to get the chance to talk to him for a full hour and uh, really dive deep into that issue. But Talking about critical theory, I mean, critical theory, take the race out of it, is a, is a, is a, it came out of the Frankfurt School in Europe, uh, which was uh, communist, Marxist. Uh, so the, the critical race theory, critical gender theory is what you're seeing with the transgenders. All of those are Marxist-based uh, and communist state uh, levels of activity designed to get at a population and in the United States, really, I mean, our core flaw, fault line uh, is race and has mm-hmm. been uh, since our declaration, you know, before the declaration was signed. Uh, but we've 
worked very hard to make the words of the declaration, all men are created equal with certain unalienable rights. The first of those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to make that a reality for all people. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and it took us years, you know, uh, it took us a civil war that killed more than 600,000 Americans when you had both sides together. It took a, a reconciliation uh, led by the, U by the U.S. and Confederate Armed Forces, really, uh, through legislation and those kind of things to, to reconcile the two parts of the country. Uh, uh, and, and it took going through Reconstruction, and it took the failure of that and the, and the, the evolution and, and, uh, and poor Supreme Court decision-making that resulted in Jim Crow laws. Uh, and, and all of those things, it took us all that trail and hard, but it's hard work to do that so that we come to now. And, uh, you know, Martin Luther King's birthday was just the other day. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I actually, a few years ago on the, I think it was the 50th anniversary of the Edmund Pettus Bridge March, I actually went there and marched across that bridge as a, as a citizen uh, because I was close by, you know, and didn't even think anything of it uh, as far mm -hmm. as like, there's all this racism in America, and and, uh, and this is impossible for this to happen because it it's not. It happens. I mean, it's a, we celebrate the fact that we've worked so hard to get where we're at, uh, and nothing. No human process is perfect, obviously, but we're not where these critical theory types say we are, and, and trying to trying to push that as a solution. <clears throat> Uh, on anything, whether it's race, transgenderism, any of that, uh, it only serves to divide our population. And you mentioned the division in the military, and that's why my, my Air Force son left the service, uh, uh, the active service, is because of the divisiveness mm -hmm. that he was seeing. And he would call me and say, hey, they, I'm an NCO now. They made me teach my guys using this exercise that the end of it, the beginning of it was, did you, were you born into a single parent home? But the end of it was, the last step was separate yourself out if you're a white male because you're, you're, you've had more privilege than everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's an Air Force exercise from last summer. And that mm -hmm. was what made him decide to leave active duty. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I mean, that is not how you maintain a team. And the team, as you said, Clausewitz taught us that it's the most important part of a military operation. I don't understand it. Well, well said, Rob. Would you be on our board? Uh, well, all <laughs> truth in advertising and transparency, folks. I am a board advisor for STARS, uh, but I don't get any money from it, and uh, nor do I desire any. I just want to help. Uh, well, I mean, but you, you brought up so many good points. Uh, what, um, I was on a show not too long ago and the host said to me you know all this emphasis now on race has made me think more about race you know i i grew up under the martin luther king mantra of judge somebody by the content of their character not the color of their skin but That's now yeah i mean i think everybody our age you know, mm -hmm. i mean that's what our parents taught us as well but now he says, when I'm walking down the street, instead of just seeing a man, if the man's black, I see a black man. And that's exactly going in the opposite direction of, I, I think we want our nation to become. I mean, e pluribus unum. 
you know, from, yeah. from anyone. And, and it's all these uh, little groups, identity politics here of uh, putting people in little, uh, little different boxes is hurtful. And they, they don't realize, they being the leadership, don't realize how um, it comes across uh, reverse discrimination to, you know, uh, unfortunately, many of the white guys. I have a very good uh, former cadet friend I knew for all four years. Now he's an officer. And he happens to be from a part of the world that hosts a great air show. And his unit was picked to go do that air show. And he said, man, I grew up working at this air show. I know everybody. Uh, and I, I this, you know, I'm the perfect guy to go on this show. You know what his squadron leadership told him? This is a diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, designated event by uh, headquarters, and you're too white to go. Yeah, I was I was on a show a couple of weeks ago, sir. And uh, speaking of too white, uh, and uh, we were talking about uh, how uh, the recruiting in the services was down, and the army was having to give a fifty thousand dollar bonus to six-year enlistees to get people to mm -hmm. sign up. Uh, and, uh, and the interviewer tried to blame it on COVID, like the, you know, and follow the army's press release that they put out. But, but really, in fact, when you look at the data, uh, I went and looked at the congressional research data for, for combat casualties in all of our wars up to and including, uh, enduring and Iraqi freedom. And more than 70% of those combat deaths are white males. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, here's the question that the leadership of the United States of America needs to ask, I think, themselves is, do we want to have a military capability uh, that is truly uh, a part of the founding values of, you know, e pluribus unum, you just brought it up, teamwork, not caring about anything except for the quality of the work you do and, and your merit uh, and those kind of things, or do we want a military organization that has no capability because they're forcing the people that get volunteer to go die for their country to say, well, you guys hate me. And I don't mean to be, you know, I happen to be a white male. I wish, I wish I wasn't. So when I say it, it would, it would have credibility in some people's minds. Uh, but I think I have credibility as a, as a senior leader from the air force uh, that's gone through that process and has been a commander like you, uh, that they need to really look themselves in the mirror and, and ask what they're doing, because that's exactly what's going on. In Iraqi freedom, 4,418 uh, Americans died, and 3,645 of those were white men. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, one of the things I heard from cadets who finished uh, basic cadet training uh, last August, uh, every Labor Day, uh, which is parents weekend at the Air Force Academy, my wife and I host a big tailgate party. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we came to know a number of cadets through the summer, et cetera. I mean, there's a number of opportunities. They have duly day out where they come over your house. Or, there used to be a sponsor program where they could stay at your house their last night as a civilian. Um, but I was asking, so, you know, was how was training? Was training wokeness? And one cadet told me, he said, uh, that they kept saying we need leaders of diversity so many times I felt like I was being indoctrinated. And I said, so did they take it to the next step? What, why is it that 
a military organization that's supposed to be a meritocracy, did they explain why we're putting so much emphasis on diversity? And they said, no, it's just, well, I mean, leaders of diversity can lead people of their skin color more effectively than um, maybe a white guy could. They go, really? Wow. I, I had never stopped to think about that. That hmm. now, now skin color is, has become a, uh, uh, an element of evaluation on how well you can lead. Uh, seriously, I mean, sir, I mean, that sounds a lot like what our military units were organized as in World War II that President Truman did away with in the 50s. Yeah, it, it took a while for it to take hold, but yeah, that's exactly true. Wow. And, I mean, so I'm a little bit surprised at, at, uh, at, at that response and, mm-hmm. and how they keep driving this uh, potentially home rather than, um, you know, let's... You know, I, I've come, become good friends with uh, Major General uh, U.S. Army retired Joe Arbuckle. He leads the Flag Officers for America Association. And coincidentally, he lives down the street from me uh, in Colorado <laughs> Springs. So uh, wow. he likes to say, and I said, yeah, I've said this before, too. I mean, I said it a number of times at different events that I spoke at in, in Colorado mm-hmm. is Think of what we're making our military. We're, we're moving away from being a meritocracy. And part of the scorecard now is the color of someone's skin. I said, how would you like that if our Denver Broncos did that? I, I mean, think about it. I mean, that it's, yeah. it's football. It's just a game. Here's a matter of life and death. And now we're choosing people. Um, I mean, it almost it comes across as sounding racist. No, it's not racist. It's racist when you choose people based on the color of their skin. Well, yeah. I mean, can you imagine one of us making a decision as a commander, especially in wartime, uh, based on the color of someone's skin when, when divvying up tasks or giving orders? Or anything? Can you imagine that? Or gender. Or I gender, a, yeah. I had a discussion not long ago with an SES that works uh, in, uh, in Air Force personnel. And she told me it's a matter of fact. That's that's the world we live in. Uh, that if it's even close, uh, even close, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the nod will go to the minority or the woman. And well, cadets will see that. And and I keep coming back to cadets because um, I have more mm-hmm. opportunities to interface with them living right outside the North Gate of the Academy than I do with members of the service. Most of our service stories have come from Matt, who you're going to have on the show. Yeah. Uh, and, and he'll provide you. I mean, I just communicated with him yesterday and he's getting hundreds of uh, inputs. In fact, he, he alluded on one of our shows. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not, Rob, uh, Dr. Scott, my vice president is leading a uh, podcast called the intellectuals. <clears throat> oh, and, uh, I have not seen it yet, but I'll yeah, look he, for it. Yeah. He had Matt on last week. And that kind of hints towards the end of the show. I haven't seen it yet in the news this week, but he kind of hits that we're going to see a mass exodus of pilots yeah. from not just the Air Force, but again, standing up against this vaccine. I kind of wavered off the, the skin color thing, but mm-hmm. um, you know, cadets will tell you that where the skin color uh, discrimination shows up is in the selection of leaders squadron commanders 
uh, in the cadet wing. Now, we FOIA'd that data, I think, nine months ago. Supposed mm -hmm. to have it in 20 days, still don't have anything. Still but don't I, have it, do you? I really think it would be damaging because, um, in fact, I was speaking yesterday with uh, Tom Burbage, who leads the Calvert Group, which is a group formed somewhat similar to STARS, and we're going to join forces more here in a bigger way uh, mm -hmm. if, if we can get it through our boards. But he was talking to uh, uh, admissions, and someone went to uh, one of the, the football games, and, you know, they have the, the midshipmen uh, walk, march on to the game. And they were right. amazed at how many were minorities and women. And so it's, I mean, is that discriminatory against the, the, the white male or not? Uh, I, I think you'd have to say yes. And is it because mm -hmm. we have white privilege? I'd like to say, well, uh, here's another group that we're affiliated with is Take Charge uh, out of Minnesota. And it's led by a black guy by the name of Kendall Qualls. And mm -hmm. his mission in life, although he's now running for governor of Minnesota, but I was on the Mike Huckabee show with him in November around Veterans Day. And I mean, he had a very powerful statement uh, to say, uh, you know, the, the privilege, uh, it, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I'll extend it to me. The privilege that he grew up on and the privilege that I grew up on is we had two parents. Yeah. And, and now in the black household, he says it's completely reversed. And when I grew up, there was 80% two-parent black families. Now it's 20%. And that's that's yeah. a disadvantage uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and that's right. like that's a documented direct result of federal government and state government policies that mm -hmm. have affected the black families since the 1930s. Mm -hmm. uh, a documented result, especially since the 60s mm -hmm. in the Great Society. Uh, and and just like with the pandemic response and the vaccine mandates, the government continues to waste resources doing the thing, the opposite of the thing that it says it's intending to do. You know, it says it's intending to help black people and strengthen families and those kind of things. And it's actually destroyed it, which has led to all sorts of uh, outcomes uh, like cr skyrocketing crime rates right now. But but also skyrocketing car incarceration rates of young black mm -hmm. men from the 90s up until just a few years ago when President Trump uh, did some criminal justice reform. Uh, but it's probably going to get worse again because of the defund the police movement that the leftists have decided mm -hmm. that they were going to do. And we have record crime rates in all of our major cities right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, because there aren't white guys out there to arrest for that, by and large, you know. Uh, so it's a tough yeah yeah tough so how, how do you fix that do you I mean I you know, I've, I've spoken at length with Kendall on this and I, you know the other big drawback he feels like the, the black male growing up is, is they don't have the access to the to the right kind of schooling <laughs> and of course there's yeah. not the dad there like my dad was there helping me with algebra and trigonometry right and so that's so so do we try to make the opportunities more equitable across the board, or do we force state-managed equity on top? And you know, I, I think that's one of the big debates that our country is in the midst of and, and will struggle with for, because the yeah. way we're trying to force the equity piece is what you just described, I think, very well, is all these uh, 
government programs uh, aimed at trying to help people that really don't because the first thing you have to give them is that self-initiative, that self-confidence, that uh, mm -hmm. self-assurance that, yeah, I can do this in, in the right education. Yeah. When I talk to my successful friends uh, from all walks of life, all, all genders, all races, uh, they use the phrase equality of opportunity. Uh, and the focus heretofore of government, uh, especially uh, one certain political party, but it's not just one party, it's the, the whole of government really, has been uh, to, to uh, force government-mandated equity, really. Mm -hmm. uh, affirmative action, which has been ruled against in the courts too, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. Those kind of things were attempts at, uh, by government to force uh, uh, equity instead of pursuing policies that improve equality of opportunity uh, for all of us, you know, but you have to think creatively, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm a criminal justice reform advocate, because I saw in my old state of Louisiana that 75% of the incarcerated population was black men from 18 to 27 uh, mm -hmm. years old. And it had the highest incarcerated population uh, uh, in America and top five in the top five countries. It was the fifth uh, among countries, Louisiana was at that time. Uh, and, and what I saw was when I started doing the research was it was government policies from decades ago that resulted uh, in a lot of this being able to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so instead of pursuing equality of opportunity policies, we pursued policies to force it. Uh, I call it equity. You can call it whatever you want. Right. Uh, and I think our country and Americans believe in so, so deep uh, equality of opportunity for every human being, regardless of how they're born, uh, that policies that our government supports should be modeled after that instead of mm -hmm. the other way around. And, and so far, it's the other way around. And unfortunately, sir, we get, we get more of the same, just like with the vaccine mandates. You know, the president of the United States said, ah, we've got to vaccine, vaccinate the entire world now. 90% mm -hmm. uh, of Americans isn't enough. Uh, and, uh, and, and they're going to double and triple down on equity policies that will continue to hurt families. And it's not just black families. There are American, there are white families that are uh, Hispanic families, uh, that are also hurt by those policies. It's just the numbers aren't that aren't as high as in the population of black Americans, unfortunately, or fortunately for them. But it's unfortunate that we've done this to ourselves through our own policy, uh, and uh, it's incredible. I'm going to shift gears a little bit on you, sure. uh, General, uh, and talk about this organization called Vote Bets. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I'm on their email list because they're a leftist organization. They have general officers from the Army, I know, on their board. Uh, they do fundraising for them. And uh, uh, I've been getting fundraising emails from a general, uh, and I'm going to name him. His name's Paul Eaton, I believe. Uh, Army General Two Star that says that because I think that there was something wrong with the 2020 election, I'm an insurrectionist. Now I'm a retired colonel with combat time. I think I've served honorably. All the documentation says that. Uh, but because I think a certain way, uh, he says and is raising money off of this that all of us Americans like that are insurrectionists. And then, and then just recently, the latest one. 
piggybacked on President Biden's speech on Martin Luther King Day, where he said, anybody that disagrees with my voting rights bill, I disagree with calling that bill voting rights. It's more of a federalization of all voting processes than a voting rights bill uh, is, uh, is on the side of Jefferson Davis and Bull Connor. Uh, and General Eaton sent a fundraising email out about it. So what is going on with those folks? Because I, I've never met him, but I've also never met anybody that's in that organization. But I know they have a lot of money uh, and they get a lot of play when they do an op-ed and those kind of things. And, I, and I'm sure you're aware of them uh, because yeah. uh, one, I think one of our members has done an op-ed recently opposing them. Well, um Dr. Scott, myself, and Mike Rose uh, did an op-ed that was published in the Washington Examiner, mm -hmm. um, basically saying, really, in insurrection? I mean, yeah. so let's, let's attack that first. First of all, if it's an insurrection, um, you'd think somebody would have, would have brought some weapons. Uh, <laughs> well, we're two, we're two pretty experienced military commanders. I think if we were insurrectionists, we would show up with the right armament at least. <laughs> I, I would think so. And I, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, it depends on what you read again, who, who you yeah. believe. I, I think I finally concluded there were two weapons inside the entire Capitol grounds and one was locked in a car. It's, I think yeah. that's, the, that's the version I've decided to believe. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think if people, again, just common sense, look at what they were just coming off of. And, you know, here, here's a solution, I think, to potentially keep that from happening again is may, maybe there needs to be more time between the election and the time that the votes are certified. Because uh, I remember hearing that during it. It's, it's pretty quick. It is. And people were frustrated. So, um, you know, I, I was speaking with someone the other day, which kind of surprised me. And he said, you know, the big lie is the big lie. Uh, and by that, he meant, you know, were there irregularities that frustrated some people? I, I can tell you, yeah, there were. I know yeah. a lot of family members that were frustrated. I was personally frustrated because a mutual acquaintance of, of ours, Dr. Scott, uh, I'm not sure that you know this, but for your audience, he is the uncle of J.P. McIsaac, the computer shop repair owner that Hunter Biden turned his laptop into. And Ron told me in the summer of uh, 2020 what his nephew had gone through trying to give that laptop to the FBI how he was rebuffed, how the FBI finally subpoenaed it in December of 2019 before the January 20 election, having been a deputy combatant commander where I was the guy who controlled the uh, foreign military financing, which is what one of the reasons behind President Trump was impeached because he held it up for three months, supposedly three months. I mean, we held it up a lot more for other countries trying to get people to sign an Article 98, which was an exclusion to the International Criminal Court. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, I mean, I found that a little bit, um, again, just so people are frustrated. And I personally was frustrated because when Ron told me that story in August of 20, I couldn't believe that our 
law enforcement agency had set on exculpatory information is what Dr. Scott had told me. I said, really? Exculpatory? He said, yeah, I'll send you an email. It's when I get home because Ron had a copy of that hard drive. Yeah. So he sent me an email from uh, the vice president of Burisma thanking Hunter Biden for uh, <clears throat> setting up the meeting with uh, Hunter's dad. And yet, you know, there was there was no investigation. Media was not interested in any of this. So I mentioned to Ron at the time, if you ever need any help, my next door neighbor is a former Fox News reporter, still has some contacts. And believe it or not, that's how the story got broken. Is yeah. uh, my neighbor? I don't know if I've shared this with you or not, but he he called uh, one of his contacts at Fox News. They got the Washington, or the New York Post on board. And uh, the new the Fox had lost some confidence apparently in Rudy Giuliani for one reason or another, and but yet they spoke to JP, the computer shop repair owner, for I was told four hours one Saturday wow. morning, and they had enough yeah. confidence, and they said, "Okay, the Post, you break the story, and Fox will cover it." <clears throat> so to me, uh, the very I posted something on Facebook uh, that for me was a pretty widely shared thing was 800 and something shares, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the next day I was shadow banned. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I went from 800 to basically nothing. And then, yeah. uh, <clears throat> I mean, so that censorship to me is a kind of an election fraud that big tech participated in. <laughs> and then I don't know how well, you know, our vice president for it, but you should have him on your show sometime if you if you if you want to d dive into more on that because he studied the precinct by precinct election data from November until of 2020 until March of last year, and I won't steal all of his mathematical terminologies. But what I walked away from basically it was statistically impossible. For so many votes, it you know it just exceeds the capabilities of even the machines to process them the way it happened. <clears throat> so yeah. people were frustrated, and that's what it was. And thankfully, uh, I mean, when it when it was happening, I'm sure you, like most of your audience, went, "Oh no, come on, don't do this." <clears throat> yeah. But um, but thankfully, it was you know six hours long. There was you know a couple million dollars worth of damage, I guess, instead of multi-billions, a couple of billion dollars worth of damages. Uh -huh. No one was actually killed except, uh, you know, one protester. Yeah. Not, not like what happened in the summer of 2020. So, um, I mean, to call that an insurrection, I mean, I know it makes great politics, and that's why our friends on the left went down that road. But, you know, it's, it's, it's sad because it just divides us further. Because yeah, I think it's a uh, brain cell. Uh, it wasn't an insurrection. Yeah, to have army general officers essentially say that was an insurrection. Come on, come on. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the follow on <laughs> is causing grave damage to the United States, quite yeah. frankly, because our, our country can't survive that kind of division. And the protester that was killed was Air Force veteran Ashley Babbitt, That's folks. And uh, there's still great questions about that shoot uh, that have not continued to not be answered. Uh, and uh, it, it's just, and the follow on is, 
uh, you know, to, the, the fact that we're here uh, mm -hmm. in 2022 and they're fundraising, an army generals are fundraising off of this issue as an insurrection, mm -hmm. it, it just kind of sets me back on my heels and go, wow, that's appalling. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you do that? You know, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I mean, I said some things about the, the riots in 2020 and those kind of things, but uh, but at the same time, it was heartbreaking to see that happen to our country. And there really wasn't a good reason in my mind uh, to see all that happen. Uh, and there were and there were some things. I mean, when they take the president to the bunker in the White House uh, because the protesters, so-called peaceful protesters, are trying to get to the place to burn it down. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty drastic move by the Secret Service. I've worked mm -hmm. with those guys quite a bit, mm -hmm. you know, yep. and uh, uh, it, it just. Uh, it just find I find it egregious. I really do that army general officers or any officers are are doing that kind of political fundraising off of those kind of things. They're not really running for office. If they were running for office, I I could see it. But but even then, to fundraise off of that uh, when it's a lie uh, and it's not factually correct and it's so so damaging to our society really does. Uh, upset me, and, I, and I'm glad you spoke out on it, sir. And I appreciate you guys doing that op-ed piece. You beat me to it. I was thinking about writing one when I got a copy of yours, and I go, "Well, <laughs> there we well, have it." You know, again, as we were talking before, uh, Rob. I mean, I'm, I'm a reluctant participant on on shows like that because I, I think we, you know, military members, we served our country. Hopefully, we did it well. And now we should retire unless we're going to run for political office. Shut up. But yet when people are out there seeing so many things that just don't square with, again, common sense, um, uh, yeah, I feel compelled to speak up. And, you know, we, we say our oath, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Um, we had a... Uh, renew your oath campaign in November because like you, um, I mean, you said that oath at least, what, six or seven times anyway, as, yep. as we do it every time you get promoted. And I'm sure you administered it a number of times at promotion ceremonies, but I never yep. really thought much about that domestic enemy. Uh, but now in our country, there is an element in our society who wants to overturn you know, capitalism, uh, our constitution, mm -hmm. and and they're doing it by trying to be divisive. Um, now, I I I didn't hear any generals who may be of conservative uh, persuasion on the news really crying out against the Black Lives Matter rally. I mean, that happened in the summer of 2020. And what? Mm -hmm. How many of those were? Were there 500 and something? <laughs> riots two, two billion dollars worth of damage yeah, to private billion. government uh 29 people killed number uh, of cops 730 injured 29 people killed uh mm -hmm. number of police officers and retired police officers mm -hmm. captain dorn uh, was a retired police officer in st louis, louis yeah. uh that that was killed I, I mean those yeah i didn't see conservative generals uh or any as a matter of fact get on uh, board and condemn that from a political perspective. I mean, I condemned the violence part of it and and tried to call out the 
the illogic of supporting the individual that died because I, I've read the, the uh, autopsy reports and understood the, uh, the, the uh, toxicology test data and everything. And uh, I think he died of an overdose inflicted on him by, by physical stress of the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not really murder, but, uh, it is what it is. That's the way, uh, it came out, but it, but it just puzzles me that people want to continue this divisiveness and even the president of the United States today, you know, just a few days ago, uh, saying that I'm on the side of Bull Connor. Yeah. I was at the, I went to the Edmund Pettus <laughs> bridge on the last anniversary uh, the big one. And I was there, I marched across it with a whole bunch of other people, uh, both ways to celebrate the, that fact that that Bull Connor didn't win, mm-hmm. you know, justice won mm-hmm. and, and equality of opportunity won on that day and days after. Mm-hmm. And to be called that by the president of the United States, because I disagree on a piece of legislation, mm-hmm. that's incredibly nasty. Uh, yeah. and uh, they don't have Donald Trump to blame for it this time. No, and I, I don't know if even uh, Senator Manchin's and Cinema if they had voted to suspend the filibuster for that one vote. Uh, you know, it appears like they would have passed that voting, I'll call it, like Britt Hume. I, I kind of like Britt, Britt Hume. I mean, 20 years or so on ABC seems to call it pretty square to me. And he could yeah. say, you know, this this is just a naming the naming thing to get people to, oh yeah, that's our rights, our voting rights. There's enough. It's not a voting rights bill, as you alluded before. It's right. a voting rules bill, and and the rules to have every state before they would submit or, or change any of the way that they conducted elections, they have to go through the Justice Department. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's an attack on the rights of the citizens of the states, and most Americans, I feel don't realize that there aren't any federal elections. They're right. all state elections. And, right. uh, you know, that to centralize this, when the Constitution pretty clearly spells it out that these are rights reserved for the states to conduct, I don't know how it would have ever stood up in court. Yeah, and I don't, and if somehow they do get it passed, I don't believe it will stand up in court, yeah. but we have some craziness going on in the courts too today. Well, sir, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time. I know uh, uh, your time is uh, very short. Hey, Rob, I can talk to you all day. <laughs> but, <laughs> you got me off the slope, so here I am. <laughs> yeah, tell the viewer, tell the viewers uh, how they can find stars and uh, uh, and those kind of things, and uh, I'll let you go. I appreciate it, Rob. So, stars is again stand together against race. Racism and Radicalism in the Services. So it's stars, the two R's, dot U-S. And the good thing to know, I mean, I get this, that this is a crowded field. There's there's a lot of independent little groups out there trying to uh, stand up for what we consider to be true American values. So it, it is a crowded field. But know that we have an all-volunteer organization. I mean, there's 25 hardworking volunteers. There's 20 to 25 on every weekly staff meeting we have. We have eight vice presidents. No one has ever taken a dime. Uh, Everybody's paid for their own travel. So any dollar that you give uh, goes to the fight. And right now we're in some negotiations with a number of uh, 
different organizations like uh, Prager University and everything, because we're reaching like through your show. And thanks for having us on and being able to mm -hmm. talk about it. We're reaching hopefully a million or two. Um, you know, our, our, you know, we're reaching thousands uh, with uh, our intellectual series, uh, but we need to be reaching millions, millions, the tens of millions. I mean, what, what we stand for, we believe 300 million Americans believe in what we, what we just talked about. You know, we don't want racism in the services. We don't want it to be radical. We want leadership to be uh, loyal to not only their, their leaders, but the people that they that uh, work for them. And that's what we're all about. And we welcome your contributions and uh, look forward to this. This is not, uh, I was on a podcast two weeks ago with Frank Gaffney and he asked me, so what's the long-term vision? And I said, well, this isn't a fight that's going away overnight. It's taken right. decades to get us to this point. So maybe the long-term vision is to change that last R in stars from services to society and, uh, and go from there. That may be, that may be the right one, but we're at the very beginning uh, uh, of this conflict, unfortunately. And uh, uh, we will, but we will stick it out. As mm -hmm. you mentioned, sir, our oaths never expire. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, and there you have it, folks. Uh, uh, Lieutenant General Rod Bishop, U.S. Air Force, retired and chairman of the board and president of STARS Incorporated. Uh, thank you, sir. And I look forward to next time. I'm sure that we will have more times because there will be more to talk about. Great. Thanks again, Rob. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was, as I said, retired Lieutenant General Rod Bishop, United States Air Force, seven-time Air Force commander. Uh, and as he mentioned, those of us that served so long in the military, you know, we really ought to be taking it easy and keeping our mouth shut. But our oaths never expire. The reason I do this show is because I see a need for the First Amendment and free press to continue to protect liberty because the established institutions are failing in that regard. And I will continue to serve in this capacity for as long as I can. Uh, to help get the word out on issues, facts, uh, and just plain old getting common sense to you, the people of the United States of America. And in that regard, thank you very much for watching and for participating in this show. It's very important. You can go find it and subscribe for free at robmanus.com or lifeset.com. And of course, you can find me on all the social media shows. Uh, platforms at col rob manus on facebook and i'm um, at rob manus on everything else from twitter to getter to gab uh you name it we're out there so until next week folks i'm rob manus <laughs>